Father, help our souls know how famished they are apart from hearing from you. Might that translate into an attentiveness towards your word, that our minds and our hearts and even our bodies would be eager for what you have to communicate to us. And what we ask, and we pray this every single week because it's the thing everyone in this room needs most, whether they've been a Christian for 42 years, whether it's been seven weeks, God, whether they're here and they don't yet know you and they're not even sure why they are here, God, would all of us, whatever position we find ourselves in needs most is that we would leave this time more impressed with Jesus, more confident in what he has done, and more full of hope with what he promises to do. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come, you would lift Christ high in this place that all of our hearts might be drawn after him. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. A few weeks ago, we did uh, what I'll call now round one of every sign has a story. Every sign you come across has some background story to it. So this week, we want to do round two. So here's a few signs I found. This was at a cemetery. Please do not open grave until you have contacted someone in charge of cemetery. I, I see that and I just wonder how many times did someone open a grave before they actually contacted someone. All right, next, next sign. Little jar, not cheese puffs. So I know it's a little hard to, 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 to see there. What those are are the little things you put in your ear so you... Uh, and we actually have some of these for those where sometimes the music gets too loud. We have some of these at the back. They, as well, are not Chiefs Puffs. We'll do uh, one more. Staff notice, under no circumstances are eggs to be sold to minors. <laughs> I did not realize there was some egg racket going on. I just, I, I, I want to know where, where was this posted and why? <laughs> Every sign has a story. And uh, in many ways, every house rule in our church has a story. There's a story that, that goes behind why we have these, these statements. As we're in this series, and this really is a different type of series for us, as opposed to going through a book of the Bible to take a deep dive into what we would say are, are culture-reinforcing statements, to try to give us some sense of as we live our lives out with one another, how are we meant to interact? And so this week has a story like all the other ones, build up, don't beat up. The backstory on that one, I could pick a number of different things. I'll pick the one that's probably loudest to me. The backstory on this house rule, build up, don't beat up, is youth sports. When done correctly by parents and coaches and fellow players can be one of the most life-giving things in someone's life. Sadly, it is oftentimes not done very well and can absolutely destroy people. I came across a post this last week entitled this, you are not a good coach when you, and then it went to a number of different points on you're not a good coach. And, and I'm reading this just going, why does this even have to be listed? But I've been on the sidelines of enough games to know that it should be. So here's tip one, you are not a good coach when. You are not a good coach when you call an athlete out in front of the team and tell that athlete, you absolutely stink. Coaches, you got it? So that's not good, just so you know. And then you go on and you say, you're the worst, and then fill in the blank, whatever sport they're playing. You're the worst soccer player. You're the worst linebacker. You're the worst tennis player I have ever seen. Build up, don't beat up. Now, nobody's laughing right now because you probably had this coach. Is that the, the problem? Over the last few years, I started noticing this sign out at Northwest Soccer Fields, and then I've seen them at tons of fields. Please remember, these are kids. This is a game. 
The coaches are volunteers. The referees are human. No college scholarships will be handed out today. (laughs) Why do we need signs like that? Because we have a tendency to beat up when we should be building up. We could apply that that same exact thinking to uh, spouses. We could think about it as as parents to kids and kids to parents. We could think about it in the context of, of friends. We could think about it in workplaces. Think about it at school. And we can apply it to churches. Sometimes instead of building up, we, we do beat up. Just a, a quick Google search of the phrase, church hurt will reveal a never-ending series of real stories where the very place that was meant to build up, beat up. Now, this idea of church hurt is, it's not a new idea. I think the phrase is reasonably new, but there's been a series of books recently that have come out addressing this. Like, why does it happen? Where does it come from? How do we prevent it? What What do we do if we've experienced it? And in some ways, it makes sense. The church, what this is, is imperfect people around other imperfect people trying to do life with one another and not hurt each other too much in the process. Now, just because it it makes sense doesn't mean we're okay with it. And it doesn't mean we're stuck with it. That's why we have this house rule that we would orient ourselves as we do life with one another to, to build up and not beat up. To remind us of the truly sacred role we have in one another's lives to help one another grow. To know that we can build up and we can beat up. And by God's grace, we actually get to choose which one. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at a text and really primarily stare at one verse of that text that's going to invite us to one of God's key strategies on how we can build up and not beat up. So if you are able to stand for the reading of God's word, would you stand with me? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16 This is God's holy and wonderful word. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to build up the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Feel free to grab a seat. Verse 15, to speak truth in love is the verse that we are going to camp out on. But I want to give you a couple of handles as we do this, starting, starting with this. God's goal for every Christ follower is seen in a text like this. Verse 15 says that we, we grow up. Uh, it's in contrast to verse 14 that says we're, we're, we're tossed to and fro by every doctrine and every situation that we somehow don't have a stability. But it's really clearly stated in verse 13. It says that we might grow up into maturity. And that maturity would actually look like 
Christ. And so God's goal is that we might grow up not, not to the level of perfection of Christ, but there might be a genuine Christ-likeness to us. And then he goes on and in this text gives us one of God's primary strategies to actually make this happen. And that's up in verses 11 and 12 that God gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors or shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the works of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And what's being said there is God has equipped some people to equip all people that we might live in this thing called a local church and help one another become, move from imperfect people to slightly less imperfect people to slightly less imperfect people that increasingly look more like Jesus. And there's a number of ways that we do that in the context of a local church. We can pray for one another. We can serve one another. We can model maturity for one another. And then what this text says is one of the key strategies that we get to do with one another is we speak to each other. That we take the power of words and we use those in order to, to build one another up towards maturity. Words, and this text captures it, are incredibly powerful. My wife is a... Um, a massive Harry Potter fan, has been for a long time. And so every Christmas season, um, we re-watch all of the movies, and there's a lot of them. There's eight, I believe. Um, and so we watch them. We've been doing this for, oh, eight or ten years or so. So I have spent way more hours watching Harry Potter films than I would like to admit. But it's become a pretty fun family tradition, you know. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't even have to be Christmas. If we're just like, what movie should we, should we watch tonight? He's like, Harry Potter. And so we've watched it a number of times. And as I've watched it so many times, there are some lines that are pretty stunning. One of them by Dumbledore, who is the headmaster of this school for magic and a magician, he says this, he says, words are, in my not-so-humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic, capable of both inflicting injury and remedying it. I love that line because it's just rephrasing the Bible. Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Words can bring life or bring death. Words can mend up or tear down. Words can build up or beat up. I was thinking about this actually this morning in terms of time. Take something that can do something positive or negative. This morning felt like being built up. An extra hour of sleep was stunning. Anyone else? That was absolutely crazy. But then I had this thought. Guess what's coming in the spring? Time will steal from us. It will steal from us and we will feel beat up. We can be built up or beat up. How? We speak truth and love. Now, I'm going to do a number of ways of unpacking that phrase. Before we get to like what that actually looks like, I want to do some pre-work because to speak truth and love, you have to start here. You have to believe there's something called truth and you have to know what it is. In 2019, Barack Obama was being interviewed and in the interview, he talked about three things that keep him up at night. And one of those things was the, the tendency and prevalence of social media to propagate falsehood, to spread alternate facts that then create all sorts of, of issues. Quoting, quoting former President Barack Obama, he says this, when you start contesting what's true and what's false, when debates aren't just about opinions, it's not just about how you or I may disagree on the best way to educate children or the best way to organize the economy. And this is the, the, just the insight. There's no agreed upon set of facts that we can agree to. 
and then test our ideas and opinions to get some objective facts. But rather, everybody has their own facts. That makes society unlivable. There's no standard that we can debate what human flourishing looks like because we have no standard of what human flourishing is. We have no standard in which to evaluate whether we're moving in that direction. It's one of many things that I absolutely love about the Word of God. The Word of God is facts. The Word of God is God not giving us His, his opinion, but giving us truth. The Word of God is, is not changing. It's not going to shift. God's not going to say, I know I said that before, but I think I got that one wrong. I've, I've updated. I've reframed it. It's, it's not a shifting morality. It's not a shifting view of ethics. It's not a shifting view of anything. The, now, we shift with it all the time, and we all do all sorts of things with it that aren't helpful, but the Word of God is beautiful and permanent and beneficial and actually shows us what growing up looks like. Culture is constantly changing. It's always been changing. That's verse 14, that there's all these new doctrines, all these new fads, all these new ways of being and thinking and parenting and living and pursuing careers. I mean, it was no different in the Ephesian church than it is now that is constantly shifting and constantly changing. And it's confusing. And it leads us astray and it, and it messes with us. I was thinking about one of my buddies. He was um, in his early 20s. He was out at uh, dinner with some friends. And the, the waiter goes around and asks for everyone's order. And it gets to my buddy. And he orders whatever he's ordering. He orders a salad and is asked the very normal question, what would you like on your, your salad? And he looks at the waiter and he says, I would like blah cheese. And the waiter <laughs> goes, what? What do you want on your salad? I would like blah cheese. He says, What? And his friends start looking at him saying, what do you want on your salad? It's like, blah, cheese. You know, the stuff that's like the kind of funky cheese and it's in the cream sauce. And they look at him and say, it's not blah cheese, it's blue cheese. You're so dumb. And, and, and he goes, I'm not dumb. That's what it's called. And so he gets on his phone and he calls his dad. Dad, could you tell all these people that it's called blah cheese? And his dad goes, Sorry, buddy. It's actually blue cheese. Your mom and I were just messing with you. <laughs> That's pretty messed up. That's why that family needed this house rule. As parents, you got a lot of power to mess with your kids. I think that's a hilarious story of being given mistruths. But when the stakes are higher... It's not that funny anymore. Our culture offers jello of which to build your lives upon. God's word is a bedrock. If we want to grow up, we have to start here. We have to, to know truth. I love how Steve Lawson says it. In a word, truth is reality. It's how things actually are. Theologically, truth is that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, glory, and being of God. Truth is the self-disclosure of God himself. All truth must be defined in terms of God, whose very nature is truth. The Bible is true utterly, completely. It's beautiful. It beautifies. It humanizes. Truth builds up because it accords with reality. So if we're going to speak truth and love, we have to believe there's something called 
truth, and then we need to know it. The other part of this is we have to embody it, or it really helps to embody it. The, the word translated speaking is actually not the typical word that's translated speaking from this text. It actually means more to profess, or very literally, it means to truth. What's being said here is that if we're going to speak truth in love, it really helps to not just speak that truth, but to embody that truth, to have a sort of live truth, something that you're not just saying, but you're actually living into. It rings pretty hollow when we tell people the right thing, but we don't do it. I did a quick Google search of like what to look for in a mentor. Here's what I did not find in all of the, the responses back. Um, find someone who's really good at giving advice but not taking it. It's just not what you're going to find. I shared that uh, last week I was in a car ride with someone that's part of our church, Ben. Uh, been a Christian a long time, um, in their upper 60s, and we spent a couple hours together, and, and as we just shared a bunch of stories and shared a bunch of life stuff. And, and as we got off the freeway and we're coming down Samish, kind of going by, by Lake Patton, I asked him this question after hearing all these stories about his life. I, sa- I said, hey, can I just ask you a question real quick or, or just make an insight? Like, it seems to me like you don't have very many regrets in your life. And he replied, he goes, yeah, not really. And that, I can't let go of that. I can't stop thinking about that statement. Now, he's not saying he doesn't have sin. It doesn't mean he never stumbled. It didn't mean he messed up. But he, he was, what he was saying is the, the trajectory of his life is one that he looks at and says, God's grace was there, and, 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 I'm, so, and I'm amazed by what he's done. And this is, this is so I'm going like, and, and what did you do? Like, what did you, he, he lived in embodied truth. He believed that the word of God can build him up in such a way, and he's this living testimony to it. And I'm just like, I just want to take notes on what you did. That's embodied truth. When we have that and we're speaking truth and love, people are so much more prone to listen. Now, another phrase to, to notice in this is this phrase, we are to grow up. So we speak truth and love, and then it goes to we. It's like we're speaking it, but then we're included in the growing up. And I'll give you another way that this is really helpful in posturing ourselves to build up and not beat up is to remember that we too, as we're speaking, are also people that need to be learning. That we too are works in progress. What it does is it colors how we speak. I think about this a lot as a parent. I'm 46. I still struggle to let go of grudges. There's times where I do my chores halfway. There's times where I lose my cool when I am not supposed to. And I have four kids. And my four kids, sometimes they won't do their chores the way they're supposed to, and sometimes they lose their cool, and sometimes they hold grudges when they forgive. And when I remember that we too, that me too, that I'm supposed to grow up as well, it puts me in a posture, not that I don't speak, but when I speak to them, I speak as someone who's also in progress. Let me give you one more before we look at actually speaking truth and love. Um, Before speaking, listen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, He's in a really helpful section talking about how we help one another grow. And he makes this insight. He says, the pagan world today knows something about persons who often can be helped only by having someone who will seriously listen to them. On this insight, it has built its own secular form of pastoral care, which has become popular with many people, including Christians. But Christians have forgotten that the ministry of listening has been entrusted to them by the one who is indeed the greater listener and in whose work they are to participate. 
And this next line is why I bring this insight in. We should listen with the ears of God so that we can speak the word of God. We, we listen with the ears of God in order that we can appropriately and in the right tone, in the, uh, time, in the right tone, in the right timing, we can speak the words of God to somebody. A number of years ago, and I have permission, I always get permission to share these, these stories, but a number of years ago, one of my buddies, who's part of our church, member of our church, loves the church, really bought into Jesus, loves Jesus, wants to grow up in maturity. Um, I'd noticed that he had stopped giving to the church. And so um, and when I noticed it over, over time, I, I called him up. And, and I'm going to revisit this story um, in a little bit, but, but I just want you to hear how it started. This is how it began. I said, hey, man, just wanted to give you a call. I noticed that, that you had recently stopped giving, and I, I just wanted to ask why. Are you okay? What I didn't do is assume I knew why. I didn't, I didn't assume anything. I, I didn't know, did his theology of generosity change? Was he angry and disgruntled with the church? Maybe he was struggling financially, and I wanted to find out so we could help. Maybe he just forgot. Maybe it was a thousand other things, but what I didn't do is come in speaking before I knew what I was actually speaking to. Some of why we beat people up is we don't take long enough to listen to why they believe or disbelieve, why they believe what they believe or they disbelieve what they believe, why they do what they do or they don't do. We, ju we, just, we use truth as a weapon as opposed to ears to listen, and then we know how to speak well because what we'll say will often change based upon why they're being tossed to and fro. I think about it in gospel communities. So gospel communities in our church are these groups of people that, that can, they just connect together. It's friends centered around Jesus, centered around grace. But oftentimes what happens in these communities is over time, you become vulnerable with one another. You begin to know each other's lives. You begin to open yourselves up. You, you begin to ask for prayer about certain things. Like you just begin to share life with one another. You're, you're in life. And I remember this one GC, this is a bunch of years ago. And there was a couple that had been there for, for quite some time. And and um, the, we got a call from the GC leaders, and they said, you know, I'm really concerned about this couple. And we said, well, how come? And they said, well, because they never share. They're like, they, like, when other people are sharing stuff, they just never share. They never say, hey, I, we need prayer for this, or this is what's going on. And, and so I asked this, this couple that's leading this group, I said, well, do you know why? So, well, no, I just know it's a problem. They should be sharing. And I said, well, do you think it might be helpful to actually ask them Why? They said, well, why would that help? They should just share. And I said, well, maybe, not with you, obviously. No, I didn't. <laughs> sort of said that. In love. In love. No, I said, well, you don't know. Maybe, they, maybe they've done it before and they got so burned. Maybe they opened themselves up and people used it as weapons and ammo against them later. Maybe they grew up in homes where you never processed emotions and you never shared your life. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're just shy. Maybe for them, just coming into a, someone else's living room is like the most courageous thing they could possibly do. You just don't know why. We want to build up, not beat up, and part of where that starts is listening. We want to know truth. We want to embody it. We want to speak truth after listening appropriately so we know how to respond and then we do get into speaking truth. But this text is really clear. We speak truth, that which accords with reality, in love. 
I love William Smith and his book, Parenting with Words of Grace, which is probably my favorite parenting book. It's really just a theology of speech. I would encourage it to anyone. You can apply it whether you have kids or not. But he says this. He says, when you see that truth without love tears others down and love without truth keeps them weak, then you realize that you cannot really have truth or love unless you have both of them at the same time. Or Tim Chester says it like this, love without truth is like doing heart surgery with a wet fish. <laughs> I don't know what that is. I just think it's, I don't know what it is, but I don't know. But truth without love is like doing heart surgery with a hammer. You know what happens if you do heart surgery with a wet fish or a hammer? You kill the patient. When we speak truth without love, we're no longer really speaking truth and we're for sure not loving. And when we try to love without truth, we're not actually really loving or sometimes actually ignoring or enabling or giving up on. Speak truth in love. What does that mean? That word can feel so abstract. I just feel like it hangs out there in the atmosphere. Thankfully, God has given us, though, some handles for how to unpack this. One of them is a passage, and eventually we'll get to a person. One of the chapters of the Bible that's like the love chapter, used at weddings all the time, but it's actually a chapter that's given in the context of a local church, trying to learn to build one another up out of 1 Corinthians 13. And we see all of these statements of what love is. This is God's definition and articulation of what it means to love. 1 Corinthians 13 for and falling, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. To speak truth in love, what you could do is actually take this text and use it as uh, synonyms for what it means to love. Speak truth patiently. Speak truth with kindness. Speak truth, but not with arrogance, not with know-it-allness. Speak truth, but, but don't be rude about it. Speak truth in a way that it's not really about you and you getting your way, but them growing in Christ. Speak truth that's not irritable. Oh, man, how often as parents do we say the same thing, the right thing, and we get real annoyed because we've had to say it over and over and over and over. Speak truth that believes all things, that hopes all things. That's a really, speak truth in hope that somebody can change. I remember one of my seminary professors said this 20 plus years ago. He said, never rebuke someone that you don't think can change. If you do, you're just being mean. Do we say like truthful things to people, but do we really believe they can change and grow? Or do we just want to say it? Just to say that we said it. Think of this type of speech. Think of this opportunity in a world of outrage, in a world of snark, in a world of cynicism, in a world of meanness, in a world that's often more interested in winning rhetorical battles than winning our brothers and sisters or those that are far from God. Martin Lloyd-Jones makes this insight in a sermon he preached on this Ephesians text. He says, we must never start by denouncing we must start by explaining and expounding. If I believe another man's view is wrong, I must not attack him immediately. 
First of all, I must put the truth to him and try to do so in as persuasive a way or as persuasive a manner as possible. I must try to win him to it. Indeed, I must go further and say that I must have sympathy with the man. You know, I mean, you think of the sympathy in light of verse 14, that every wind, it's tossing to and fro. The people are wandering. They're, they're confused. We have sympathy. I must recognize that perhaps he's only a babe in Christ and that the, he holds the wrong view because he's a babe and has not been taught. I, I should have a sense of compassion towards him. I love this line. I must try to win him to it, win him to the truth. What it doesn't say is I must try to win. We want to build up, not beat up. A few years ago, I was reading a, um, a three-volume series on pastoral theology and a lot about what it looks like to, to be a pastor and try to serve a church well. And it was written by a guy who'd been a pastor for over 50 years. And so had some incredible insights learned in decades and decades decades of faithful ministry, and he'd spent a lot of his time um, not just pastoring, but also trained up other pastors. And, and so the, the, the insights were, were, were plentiful, for sure. One of the biggest ones was an insight he made about um, pastors and, and preaching. And he said this, he says, there is a huge difference between a pastor that loves to preach and a pastor that loves the people to whom he preaches. Let me apply this text to all of us. There is a huge difference between a person that loves truth and a person that loves the people to whom he or she is speaking truth. Part of how we build up and we don't beat up is to love the very people that we're speaking to. To go back to the story on giving, um, I cared about my friend. I cared about what was going on, so I cared enough to call him and have an awkward and uncomfortable conversation. And, and I listened to him to try to understand what was going on, and then... Um, I said, hey, can we open the Bible? I think there's some passages that pertain to how you're thinking right now. And we opened the Bible and tried to find points of connection and didn't mock, didn't belittle, didn't say you should know better than this, and then invited him to reconsider his approach. You know, at no point was it about me getting him to give. It was about him getting to do the things that he knows will tend towards maturity that he wants to do. Tanner Swanson says this is wonderful blog post. This is what we're to do when we speak truth in love. It says, when we speak the truth in love to other believers, God uses our words as loving spurs. We encourage Christian brothers and sisters to hold fast to the confession of hope without wavering. Yes, we need to point out sin. And a million times, yes, we need to remind each other that God alone satisfies the longing soul. When we speak the truth in love to unbelievers... God uses our words as capsules that carry the good news to hearts and minds foreign to Christ. Be they strangers or neighbors, family members or lost friends, God commands us to tell the people we know, I love you and I want to tell you the best news in the world. I love this summary statement. To be a follower of Christ is to be a fountain. Whether we sit across the table from a believer or an unbeliever, love that images Christ will shower others with gospel truth. Not yelling, not demonizing, not trying to win, but trying to speak in such a way that, that we can hear the echoes of how Christ has spoken to us. I really benefited from uh, Tanner Swanson's uh, post, especially when we have to speak on popular truths or hard truths. 
And I love this line that I'm about to read you that, that really fortifies us for the, for the work. This is what she says. She says, Love's do, love does not wage, does not, <laughs> love does not war against truth. Love reigns through truth. See, the very thing that we're equipped and called to do is to know the very word of God and then to bring that to people that, that don't know the word of God, that they might know the God of the Bible, whether that's Christian or non-Christian, whether that's believer or unbeliever, wherever there's some disconnect or dissonance that we're not tossed to and fro, but that we get to grow up into a maturity that's, that's stable and, and beautiful. And in her post, she goes on and talks about this interaction that Jesus had with what's known as the rich young ruler, this man who'd made a lot of money and had a lot of power. And then this, this man comes to Jesus and looks at him and says, okay, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? So ask this question, what's the truth? What, what do I need to know? And then Jesus goes on and says this in Mark chapter 10. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. That little phrase, I'm not going to unpack what all that means, but that little phrase, this person comes needing truth and, and Jesus' flinch was loved him. And so he told him the truth because he loved him. Now, the rich young ruler, if you go to the story, he didn't like what he heard. He heard it and he was disheartened and sorrowful. But you still say it. Speaking hard truths with love is, is love. See, when we talk about this as build up, don't beat up, it doesn't just mean be nice. That's not what it's saying. It's saying bring God's word in the right time, in the right tone to people's lives that they might be able to see something they don't see, grow into something that they're not yet. I imagine you've been the recipient of, of uh, harsh words that were thrown as weapons and also hard words that were given to, to bring life. I know I've been the recipient of one situation that I remember really, really um, clearly, and it happened, this has to be eight, nine years ago, and I for sure have been rebuked by this person since then, but this is the one that I keep going back to over and over again, and it was Dane who's part of our staff. I was in my office, and he came in, and we were talking about um, domineering personalities and just kind of stepping on other people, and, and I said, man, that's something I worry so much as a pastor is, is, is being a, a bully from the pulpit or being a bully to other people, and I said, man, I, I don't think that's what I'm doing. Do you, do you see me doing that with people? And he looked at me and said, no, nah, man, I don't think you're a bully. I don't think you're like that, except sometimes with your wife. Sometimes you talk over. Sometimes you drown out the things she needs to say. Sometimes you're just needlessly harsh. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Speaking hard truths with love is an act of love. It is a way of building up and not beating up. Dane did not beat me up. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Life Together says this, nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. What frees you to hear those words? What frees you to hear even sometimes hard truths wrapped in love? What frees you, if you're in this moment, as I was studying a text like this, what frees you to like 
receive the fact that maybe we have used some words harshly with others in our lives? What frees us to go, man, I beat up when I should have built up? What empowers us to be able to go and actually do this with other people? It's to know the ultimate truth that is the ultimate expression of love. See, the thing that helps us know how to do this is a passage, but more than anything, it's a person. Jesus Christ is the one who came in with the ultimate truth and the ultimate love mapped together, not separated in any way. The, tr- the truth of this, it's the truth of the gospel, the ultimate truth, the truth that we all need to hear. The truth is this, that we have failed before a holy God and that we stand justified or, or, or condemned in our, in our sin. Truth. And love that there's a Savior. The Christ Jesus came to do that which we could not do, that he is patient and he is kind, that he bears all things and believes all things, that he's not arrogant or rude, that he does not, he's not self-serving and self-seeking, but, 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 he, but he comes to actually live the way we were meant to live, to speak the way we were meant to speak, but then died on a cross in the way that we deserved. In this way, Christ actually was beat up, that we might actually be bound up. The thing that allows us to hear it when people point out something, oh, the truth of the gospel has already outed me. I, yep, I, got, I have stuff. And simultaneously, the love of the gospel has already comforted me, allowing me to hear these sharp words and to not run from them. It models for us what to do. It reminds us of the forgiveness we have when we have failed to do it. Tim Keller, the way he says it, and I won't read this whole quote, I'll just read the first part of it. He says, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Truth and love. That truth will build you up. That truth will ready us to hear what other people need to speak. That truth will remind us, that truth and love will remind us of the forgiveness we have when we fail to do it and empower us to do it better. It's the biggest truth and the greatest expression of love. Let's be a community that knows it, that then with one another we can build up and not beat up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the destination, the picture of growing into maturity. And thank you for the strategy of putting us with other imperfect people to try to imperfectly but in helpful ways speak truth and love. Thank you for the forgiveness that we have where we have failed to do this, that we are made right through faith in Christ alone and what he has done. Thank you for the modeling that we have in Christ that we have an image to look at. Thank you for the empowerment we have through Christ to be able to, to try. Father, would you make the, 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 the greatest truth, the loudest truth in our lives and the greatest declaration of love In Jesus' name we pray, amen.